see you this morning. Glad you're here. Um, well, last week, I just want to start by saying last week was just an incredible time. Uh, if you're a guest today, Central is now 25 years old, and um, we had a great celebration last week. And, and uh, man, we are just so grateful to you for so many things. But it was a beautiful, beautiful day, and I'm glad you could be a part of it. Uh, if you weren't here, it might be a good one to go online and, and to kind of catch up on and just kind of kind of see it. Uh, and you do that. You know, uh, Sundays are always kind of interesting. We uh, we kind of have a rule of thumb as a staff that we want to make sure, you know, things can be falling apart, but uh, we want to make sure everything comes across like we got it together. But most of the time, just between you and me, we don't. But uh, just just so you know that. But this morning, I came down and uh, met him up here at the front, and I'm I'm looking for some notes that I didn't have. And the services started, and I thought, man, this is not good. And so I grabbed Alan. I said, Alan. Uh, uh, I said, I need you to go check my basket in my office. I need you to go to the bathroom because I went to the bathroom. I'm like that, those old family circus things that they usually show. By the time my office to get down here, I don't know where it was. And then it hit me that I'd gone back there and got mic'd up and, and had left stuff back there. So I found it. And, and uh, But, uh, that man, that put a panic in me. Uh, I was going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit instead of my notes. How about that? Uh, that's tongue-in-cheek right there. But uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. My wife's birthday is today. And so I, I it's, it's kind of a cool year. We both uh, had our birthdays on Sundays uh, this year. But I wanted to, um, uh, I want to read something to you. This is from uh, Dr. David Hardage, who is the executive director of the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And uh, oh, there they are. It gets worse. Okay. Um, All right. It's pretty cool. Dear Pastor Mark and members of Central Baptist Church, congratulations as you celebrate 25 years of faithful ministry in your community for the gospel. Texas Baptists celebrate with you this momentous milestone you have reached as a body of believers. Your commitment to sharing the hope of Christ in your neighborhood is something to be recognized and honored. I give my deep appreciation for your partnership in Texas Baptist Cooperative Ministries and mission of spreading the word of God to those locally as well as globally. We cannot do what we do without your help and generosity. May the reflection on your past and your vision for the future remind you of God's faithfulness and provision. My prayers go out to you as you continue to grow and to reach the community around you with the message of hope and life that our Father has so lovingly bestowed upon us. Sincerely, David Hartage, Executive Director, BGCT. I thought that was kind of cool uh, to, to have that. I'm going to put it in my files, uh, and uh, no, we'll put it up there somewhere. I want you to turn with me to Book of First Thessalonians, and uh, let me just kind of bridge where we're going today for a few minutes. Uh, Thanksgiving is Thursday, if you didn't uh, realize that, but you know we can't set aside just a day. It's it's a lifestyle that needs to develop, just like we hope that a lifestyle of servanthood is more than just love the rock. We want to we want to have a lifestyle of service. But one thing I know as followers of Jesus Christ is that above all else, we talk about this a lot, God's will for our life. What is God's will for my life? I want to walk in God's will for my life. I don't, I don't I, there's probably not a young young lady or young uh, man who who doesn't say, "Okay, God, I want my life to count for you. I want to walk in your will, whatever that is. What is your will for me?" And sometimes we make it a, a, a cat and mouse, hide and seek kind of thing. We're thinking, oh, God, God's hidden it from us. 
and we've got to tear through things to discover it and, and uh, this kind of thing to know if we're walking out what his will for us or not. But to realize that in his word, probably 90%, there's, there's always that vagueness that we step out on faith. But so much of it is just already there in Scripture. This is God's will for you. This is what his will for is. And uh, we know that Scripture says it's his will that none perish, that all come to repentance. So we know that it is his will for people to come to a faith step with God through Jesus Christ. But today we're going to talk about another one of those. This is God's will for you. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want to begin with verse 12. And uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of background because I think background is always important because sometimes we read the scriptures and we're not knowing who the who Paul is actually writing to here. This is Paul's writing to, and this was First Thessalonians. Just so you history buffs will understand this, this was his first letter that is recorded. This was around 50 A.D. Uh, Jesus uh, passed away. He was died on the cross, and he rose and he ascended around 35 to 36 A.D. probably. And so this is about 15 years removed from Jesus not being there, okay? Now, they were living under the impression, just like you and I ought to be living under the impression, that Christ could return at any moment. So for those 15 years, they have been anticipating Christ's return. Now, Thessalonica, like so many of the uh, uh, cities, were Roman-occupied, and uh, these were people that had come to faith through Paul. And what happened was, though, is that they were under persecution from the Romans. They were suffering under the hand of the Romans. They were struggling with this. Another thing that was happening is, is that people were dying. And they thought Christ would return, and people would just go to be with him. His kingdom would be established on earth, and, and th- this would not happen. But what was happening, people were starting to pass away. So now they're questioning, and then you throw upon that, false teachers were now entering in. Fifteen years later, after Christ had had ascended, there were false teachers coming in to muddy up the waters. So that's what these people are walking in. So Paul is addressing many issues with them. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 12, he's wrapping up this letter, and he gives some incredibly practical advice. And there's a part we're going to camp out in today as we think about God's will and especially in Thanksgiving. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, let me read. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This seems so practical. And then he's going to get even more practical in very short phrases. He says this in verse 16. Rejoice always. Verse 17. Pray continually. And in verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Now, we're going we're gonna to camp out in verse 18 there where he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you to give thanks in all circumstances. Think what they were going through. They were going through Roman persecution. False teachers were coming in. And they were, they were losing faith a little bit because Christ did not return. And so what Paul's doing is, is he is wanting to encourage them. Don't want you to fall away. Give thanks even, even in these circumstances that you don't understand. Now, my question for me and for you today is, in all circumstances, really? I mean, a year ago, I would have said that a lot more uh, optimistically than where I stand with you today. 2018 has been the most difficult uh, year of mine and Pam's adult life. Between deaths and between uh, illnesses and between um, marriages that we've seen that have gone through incredible struggle, uh, this has been a, a year above all years. And to think that the Scripture says it's God's will that you give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I had to wrestle through this this week. And uh, say, God, what what does that look like? I mean, to if you if you just lost your job, God, I thank you that I lost my job. That's hard. Lord, thank you that I've been diagnosed with cancer. Lord, thank you that I got blood clots in my lung. Thank you that somebody died. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just very difficult. Paul, help us to understand that. God, you you anointed Paul to write this. Help us to grab what this means in our day. Because I guarantee you, some of you in this room are walking in some very deep waters right now, and you're thinking, Mark, are you saying i got to give thanks in the midst of this? I'm not saying it. The Scriptures are saying it. And I'm just going to echo what they say. So, but let's unpack it a little bit and see what it looks like. But I think, first of all, I want to look at what uh, a thought with you and and uh, I found this, and I thought this is great, because this is the way we handle most of life. There were two old friends who met each other on the street one day. One looked forlorn, almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked, what, was the wor- what has the world done to you, my old friend? And the sad fellow said, let me tell you, three weeks ago my uncle died and left me $40,000. Man, that's a lot of money. But you see, two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew died and left me $85,000 free and clear. Man, it sounds to me like you've been blessed. You don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars from her. Now the the man's friend was really confused. Then why do you look so glum? This week, nothing. You know, that's how many of us are, is what, what have you done for me lately? I will be grateful, but, but Thanksgiving um, eludes us because we always think there's something bigger and brighter that I will thank for. And, and then we forget, just like the video about many of that. And that's the way many of us are. But, you know, there are certain characteristics of an ungrateful person, and I just want to lay these out to you. The first one is this. An ungrateful person feels entitled. They feel like it's my rights. I deserve it. I deserve more than I have. There's always that entitlement that goes with them. 
and, and they feel this way. An ungrateful person feels entitled. Another thing about an uh, ungrateful f- person is they are self-absorbed. It's all about me and my kingdom, and I'm building my kingdom, and I worship self. And one of the hardest things for an ungrateful person is to go on Facebook and to compare themselves to everybody on Facebook. They're never happy because their kingdom is their kingdom. And we think the most important thing on the whole Internet of all of the world is our page. And so we get caught up into that because we're building our own kingdom and we get self-absorbed and an ungrateful person is self-absorbed. Here's a third characteristic of an ungrateful person. They're envious of other people. They always want what others have. They always want their name mentioned. They always want to be in the headlines. They want to hit the winning basket. They, they want their name to be there. They, they envy what other people have. I want what they have. And so they, they have this envy in them. And with this envy, they cannot enjoy even what they have. And then a fourth characteristic of an ungrateful person is enough is never enough. Never satisfied. I need one more. I need just a little bit more. And so if you're always going for more, you're never grateful for what you have. And you're never grateful for what you had because you're always pursuing something else. And enough is never enough. Now, all of us, when I read those four characteristics, you say, I see that person. I know that person. I know him, too. I look at him in the mirror every day. It's me. I mean, all of us struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with, oh, these are my rights and they're getting trampled upon and I'm entitled to this and I'm self-absorbed and I want it for me, 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 me. And we struggle with that ungrateful spirit that seems to haunt us. And, and I've got a little bit of a digression of an ungrateful person. So let me just share this with you right quick. The digression, the downhill slide of an ungrateful person. First of all, it starts with ingratitude. You can't even say thank you. You can't even appreciate what you've got. There's ingratitude. And then from ingratitude, you, you traverse to entitlement. It's mine. It's that, I deserve that. And then you go from entitlement to discontentedness. I'm just discontent. I, nothing can make me happy. I'm never satisfied. And then from discontentedness, you digress to criticism. You criticize what others have, or you criticize what you have, and you criticize it. And then the dead drop bottom is you become a cynic. It leads to cynicism. You start with just an ungrateful, ungrateful spirit, and it ends, and you become cynical. I do not want to be cynical. And I know sometimes life beats you up, and you become, we, we mask with our verbiage. Instead of saying, I'm cynical, we say, I'm just a realist. But you know what I'm saying. It starts with just lack of appreciation for what we have, and it will digress, and we become cynics. And there are certain um, results of ungratefulness. And let me just share these with you a little bit. One is this. Uh, a person that is ungrateful, they're, they're less healthy. Mark, what do, you, what do you say they're less healthy? You think about it. When you're holding up the whole world because you think you deserve it, and the anxiety that is all upon you, eventually you implode. And that stress just takes you down health-wise. Here's another one of an ungrateful person. They have less community in their life. Because I can tell you this, a person that feels entitled and never appreciate anything, who wants to hang around them? So they have less community 
which means they're going to have less health in that area. They have blind spots, and nobody's going to call out on them. Here's another one. They have less joy. They have less joy. They, they are full of anxiety and worry. They can't even enjoy the moment and say thank you for the moment because they're looking to the next moment. And whatever they're involved in at the moment, they, they, they've built up to that, but they are looking to something else, and they're feeling all this anxiety, and there's no joy in their life. And then here's the fourth, what I think is the fourth result of an ungrateful person, is they walk in spiritual dryness and distance from God. Spiritual dryness and distance from God. And you may think, okay, Mark, where did you, where can you come up with that? Well, first of all, this scripture. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But then it says right behind that, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It's like, it's like in your backyard, you know, those, the, the water hose that gets pinched off. You know, it's meant to let the water flow and you gotta go find the pinch. That's literally what we do with, with the Holy Spirit is God wants his life to flow through us. And what we do is there's certain things in life where we just pinch off his power from going in there. And I think one of them is just an ungrateful heart. And with that, what we do is we start, we become ungrateful. And with that, it's all about me. It's all about me. And pretty soon the Lord seems distant because we've done that. What I want to do over the next couple of minutes, and these will be on the screen, but I just want to lay out to you what I think are five key things for a person with a grateful heart. And I hope these will help you, not for Thursday, when we thank God for turkey and family and football. And I mean that it becomes a lifestyle in you. So remember, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, okay? So number one is this. Thanksgiving is not determined by our circumstances. Thanksgiving is not determined by your circumstances. So it's not just when the sun is shining, we're grateful, but you know, days have rain. Jesus said when you go through storms. So these people were going through incredible heavy circumstances, and Paul still said, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't become self-absorbed. Realize God is still at work in the midst of your circumstances. I don't know what some of your circumstances are in this room right now. And some of you are thinking, Mark, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can give thanks to God for what I'm going through right now. Let me tell you, he can give you the strength to do that. I promise you. But we can't play the, the what if game or, or if then. God, if you would do this, then I will give you thanks. If you will do this. No, God, I want to give you thanks in all things. I may not understand it right now, but God, I'm going to give you thanks in all things. Um, Many of you uh, may have read or heard of Corey Kenboom, and her book that was read so much was called The Hiding Place. For you that are younger, let me explain who Corey Tenboom was. Corey Tenboom was a Christian, but her family helped out Jews during Nazi Germany regime, and uh, she got arrested with uh, her sister Betsy, and they got put in the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And it was horrendous. The, some of the uh, ladies in this concentration camp would be abused, and they were they were just many horrendous things that would happen to them. The particular barracks that uh, uh, Corey Tinboom and her sister Betsy were in, the the conditions were terrible. In fact, one of the worst conditions it was infested with fleas. And uh, however, Corey Tinboom had been able to sneak a Bible into their barracks. 
And they were talking about this thing about God's will for you in Christ Jesus is to give thanks. So Betsy, Corey's sister, said, we need to give thanks for the fleas. And that was like, you've got to be kidding me. We've got to give thanks for the fleas. So it went before the Lord. Lord, thank you for the fleas. And it wasn't too much longer that they discovered that the guards were hesitant to come in, wouldn't even come into their barracks because of the infestation of fleas. Thus, none of the ladies were getting abused. Thus, they were able to have Bible study, and many in that barracks came to faith in Jesus Christ because the guards wouldn't come in because of the fleas. Now, that may seem extreme, but can we give thanks for all things? And that's what they were able to do. So, it's, our thankfulness is not dependent on our circumstances. Number two, thanksgiving should be externalized. I know everybody says, I've got the joy in my heart. I've got thanksgiving in my heart. Well, if it's in your heart and if it's spirit-induced, it, it needs to become externalized. It gets passed on to others. They ought to be able to see it in you. They, especially, you know, I, I, okay, this is a sidebar. I really get frustrated in our day when people say that they're followers of Jesus Christ and they have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them and they're the most negative, bitter, critical people on the planet. I just want to say, world, please forgive us for that picture because that's not it. It, it ought to become external. What's in us ought to become external. And a grateful heart ought to become external. Many of you may not know the history of Thanksgiving or you've heard it, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a, a brief overview. We know about the pilgrims coming on the Mayflower and landing on Plymouth Rock. There were 102 on board. They, uh, in 1621 is when they had the uh, first Thanksgiving meal. They wanted to give thanks to God for what he had done. Did you know out of the 102, only 50 were still alive? Only 50. They had been befriended by the Native Americans that were there, and they had this meal together. But it's amazing that they had lost over half of the original on the voyage, but yet they still externally gave thanks to God for his provision. And I thought, man, Lord, there is a lesson right there in history for us to learn. Lord, teach me to be external with my thanksgiving. Number three, thanksgiving should be a natural overflow. I believe that what Paul is saying here, give thanks in all things for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about don't quench the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit in us wants to naturally give us a heart of gratitude. Let me tell you, apart from God, this is not existent. Um, Case in point, most of you in this room have either raised kids or are raising kids right now. Your child is given something by somebody else, and what do they do? They take it. And then what do you have to do? Tell them, thank you. Tell them, thank you. It's just not a natural overflow because it's mine now. I don't have to tell. It's like when your kids get in a fight and you put them, say, I'm sorry. You know, it's that kind of same thing. And so... Say thank you. Tell them, what do you say? Thank you. You know, it becomes a rehearsed thing. And you're thinking, their heart's not in this. But, but for us who have matured in our faith, and when God starts outflow of us, it ought to be natural to give the thank you that is there, to give appreciation for what God, uh, God has done. It shouldn't have to be worked up. And, and, and this is how you know what is truly in you 
is that when you are squeezed, who you really are comes out. Okay? We either become wine or we become winers. The squeezing happens and, and we see what's really in there. But natural overflow should be one of thanksgiving. So if you're taking notes, thanksgiving is not determined by our circumstances. Thanksgiving should be externalized. Thanksgiving should be a natural outflow. Number four is this. Thanksgiving should be constant. It shouldn't be something that's just done one time a year. It shouldn't be just, okay, we're going to get together. Let's go around the table. Everybody say what you're thankful for. I'm thankful for this. this. I mean, it ought to be a daily, uh, constant coming. All circumstances, ongoing. It should become habitual as the Holy Spirit lives out His life more in us that we become grateful even for those things we don't understand. God, I, I, know, I know this is your will for me, God, and I, and I don't understand why we've been through what we've been through this year, but, Lord, all I can say is I'm grateful to you because I know that you're still on your throne and you haven't gone anywhere, and I'm still your child. And so, God, we, we walk through this together. I know you've not abandoned me as an orphan, and it ought to be constant to come. And, and listen, I know there's certain days that it's just like the fog has set in and you're thinking, God, where are you? But isn't it good we have his word to cling to? God, I know this is your will. I know this is your will. And then number five, thanksgiving is a choice. You choose whether you're going to have a heart of thanksgiving. You can choose it. You can, you can, I mean, the Holy Spirit can, the, the Lord within can be pushing you to have a grateful heart, but you can push against it and say, no, I'm going to choose to be bitter. I'm going to choose to, to stand on what I think my rights are. This is what I'm going to do. It's the same thing as forgiveness. How many people are walking in unforgiveness today and you're not willing to forgive someone else and say, Mark, you don't know what they did. And maybe I don't. But we've said it repeatedly that unforgiveness is like, is what affects you, not the other person. You're holding on to them, and you're drinking the poison, hoping that it affects them. But, but that's what we do with unforgiveness. I choose not to. It's the same way with thanksgiving. God, I choose not to be thankful, or I choose to be partially thankful. I'm not going to be thankful for everything. I'm going to choose, and that's what we choose to do. And uh, this, this really hit me uh, this week about making a choice because... Man, I'd, I'd studied all this passage and I'm, all these things on Thanksgiving. I read other things on Thanksgiving. Lord, we, I want Thanksgiving to be great. I want you to just move in the hearts of our people today. I want us to be grateful for these things. But it came down to that. It is a choice, Mark. It is a choice. And then I read something in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, let me, let me, this is, this is good, what I'm about to say. So punch the person next to you and say, he's about to say something good. Because I'm going to say something good. Uh, the rest has been pretty good. Second Timothy, chapter 3. Paul is addressing a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And he is in a place called Ephesus. And he begins to talk about when Christ returns, the the last days, it's called, when, when Jesus will return. We're living in what I believe could be the last days. And, and you're thinking, oh, Mark, are you one of those doom and gloom? No, I've lived, I want to live every day like that, that Christ might return. So this is what Paul is addressing. And I, and I, I just felt inclined to go there uh, to, to look at this. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2, it says this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. The, the, let's mark it. There's going to be, you can bank on this, there's going to be terrible times in the last days. How terrible are them? We, we do not fully know. However, this is what people are going to resemble. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and the list goes on and on and on. And I read those things and I'm thinking, good night. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Man, those are, those are hard-hitting. That, that resembles who we are. And then all of a sudden he throws in that word, ungrateful. And I'm thinking, you got all of these things, and right in the middle there, the, the last days are going to be marked by people, all of these self-centered, absorbed things, and he has it right there, ungrateful. And I'm thinking, man, Lord, that means that an ungrateful heart is something that you despise, and where does this come from? And, and then I thought, okay, I need to look into this a little bit. So I, I looked into the, you know, the, the, the scriptures were not written in English, they were written in Greek, and so I was looking at what that word ungrateful mean. And, and the word ungrateful in the Greek, and please hang with me here, is a word called akaristos. And ah, if you put the A in front of something, it means an un, like an un for us. So akaristos. And charis is the word for grace that we have. And it's just talking about ungrateful. You're ungrateful. Now, so I started thinking about that, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, but I looked at something else, and the word thankful, some of you grew up in a Catholic background, and you would go to services, and you would participate in the Eucharist, right? The Eucharist uh, is what the Catholic Church would do, and you would, you would partake in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You would call the Eucharist. That comes from the Greek word Eucharistos, which is a word for thankful. I am you become thankful, you're thankful to God for what he has done through Jesus Christ. He has poured himself out through Jesus Christ. He has done everything through Christ. He has provided my salvation, my forgiveness, my purpose, everything that I was created for. He has displayed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I come with a thankful heart for what God has done through Jesus Christ. That's that Eucharist, thankful. So that led me to think, if that is what thankfulness is, then that means acharistos means that I've, I've spit in God's face because of what Christ has done. I am not grateful for what Jesus has done. I'm not grateful for the ultimate sacrifice he made for me. I'm not grateful that he has paid all that I need for salvation and, and through his grace. I have hardened my heart to what he has done. Now, that's good stuff because... If we're not thankful, that, that ungrateful is more than just, oh, I'm not grateful for my food. I'm not grateful for my house. I mean, we're slapping God in the face that he has paid the ultimate price, and we're saying, I am not going to abide by that. I am not grateful for what you have done. And that's not just with our mouths. It's the way we live our lives. We, we, we want to think thankfulness is just what I say. Thankfulness is what you display. How many times do we have a God who loves us and has poured himself out immensely 
so that we have forgiveness and we have His grace and we have, we're no longer bound, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we are free to righteousness. We are free not only in this life, but we believe that when these earth suits are destroyed, He has an eternal home for us, a place beyond here, and He has taken up residence right inside of us. But how many times do our lives just slap Him in the face that we're not living a life of thankfulness to Him? You see, this is more than just a day set aside to eat turkey and say, I love my family, which is great. But to have a life of ungratefulness to God because of what He has done is part of the picture where He's not going to stomach that anymore and He's going to come back. You see how that's a good word. We need to hear that today. Because thankfulness to us is just, oh, I'm thankful for a gift, I'm thankful. No, 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 no. No. God has provided all we need for godliness. And we just turn our backs on it. I uh, I found something. Many of you know the old comedian, Louis Anderson. Uh, he was on... Uh, Conan O'Brien, and he had uh, doing an interview kind of thing, and I found the, the transcript of it a little bit, and I thought this was this was pretty interesting about what I just said, and uh, I know last week I gave a word picture about not sitting in first class, and uh, and uh, I kind of took a jab at that, and that's okay. It was it, it was a good point I was making, and uh, but Louis Anderson was talking about. Uh, flying, and uh, he was on a flight. This was back when they first started Wi-Fi on airplanes, and uh, he said that uh, they were on this airplane, and the Wi-Fi uh, ceased. The internet uh, was no longer working, and the guy sitting next to him started swearing in disgust. And Louis said he was amazed, and he said to O'Brien, "How quickly the world owes him something." that he didn't know existed 10 seconds ago. And then Louis then talked about how many of us describe less than perfect airline flights as if they were experiences from a horror film. It was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. Then he said mockingly, oh really? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? Everybody on every plane should be going, oh, my God, wow, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. And then he mocks a passenger who, trying to push his seat back, complains. It didn't go back very far. And I thought, oh, man, how many times have we done that? Flying through the air, sitting at amazing speeds, getting there incredibly fast. Or we're complaining because we're not in first class. We're complaining because something else. And I thought, oh my goodness. It's, the, it's that visual lethargy. You know, the more you see something, the less you see it. That's the way we are with God. He has poured out everything we need. I mean, He, he has given us all we need through Christ, through His life, through His abiding Spirit. And yet we complain about the worst stuff in the world. We're whiners. 
And we just need to come back this Thanksgiving, this very day, this very moment, and choose a life of thanksgiving. God, I want to give you honor for what you have done for me. I do not want to slap you in the face. I do not want to be ungrateful to you. And I know the question is, well, Mark, how do I really do that, man? I'm going through some, some serious stuff right now. Well, I, I want to encourage you. This is hard. Uh, in fact, Wednesday morning I was sharing some of this with our men. You know, it's hard to surrender. But you've got to understand, God, know, God knows and wants what's best for you. To be able to say, God, I surrender my rights and I submit them to you. See, well, it's one thing to surrender, but it's, you're not willing to submit. God, I surrender. I submit to you. I don't know everything about you. I'm learning about you through your word. I'm learning about you through your revelation. But, God, I just submit to you. I know you're much greater than I am. You're all powerful. This is who I am. I just submit to you today, and I will serve you. I will serve you the best way I know how. You know, sometimes serving is taking a piece of paper and writing a thank you note to somebody else, which is a lost art in our day, just to say thank you. Why don't you bow your heads with me just a moment, if you would.